Welcome to No Life Till Lager. This is a show about lager beer, the brewers that make it, and we who drink it. This is a conversation between two people over one pint. My name is Adam Zuniga. I'm an advanced Cicerone. I'm part of the creative team behind the Six Most Metal Breweries and Beer Like in Das Movie. Today, my guest is Tim Gormley, co-founder, co-owner at Burial Beer Company in Asheville, North Carolina. Cheers and welcome, Tim. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. This is this is an honor, and uh, I've been following the show since the beginning. I'm I'm loving what you guys are doing, so it's really cool to be a part of it. It is so good to see you again. Thank you for joining <laughs> the No Life to Lager podcast. I yeah. so this is going to be a little bit different because obviously I want to talk about lager, but I also want to talk about wine. I of course want to talk about music. Like we yes. we first met you at Decibel Metal and Beer Fest, so. Hails to that. Um, it's worth mentioning I've been to Asheville. It's such a vital destination for beer. So I've made the trip to visit Burial. Um, and I have to say, I recently narrated the audiobook for The Book of Hops by Dan DeSorbo. And I was able to speak as your partner in crime. That is Doug Reiser. And I've never actually met Doug. But I hope oh, yeah. I hope I was able to channel him. His voice, his speech, his character. I did my best. So... A lot of love with burial, a lot of history with burial, and we are grateful to have you in the here and now. So, before we get started, my friend, uh, tell me what's in your hand. What are you drinking? Yeah, I'm drinking um, a, a beer from Odd Colony, actually. So it's not a burial beer, but uh, I was just hanging in in Nashville with these guys. They're really old friends. Uh, Brett, one of the the founders used to live in Asheville nice. um, before he moved back home to Pensacola to start Odd Colony. So it's a beer called Moonbeam. It's a dark Czech lager. Um, it's you know one of my absolute favorite styles of lager, and it's just a damn good beer. So mm. cheers. Cheers to damn good beer. I have Contrition from Burial Beer in my hand. It's uh, being positioned as the ultimate shower beer at 4.8% alcohol by volume. <laughs> Did you see earlier in the year that uh, I think Margot Robbie likes to celebrate the end of a long day or the end of a long shoot with a with a beer shower? And uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's true. When I heard that at first, I thought it's like what we do, which is get like film me getting showered in beer. But no, it's it's just a it's a cold beer and a hot shower or a hot bath at the end of the day. So, oh, man. Um, yeah. I I love a drink in the shower. It's not always beer, but I, I love a drink in the shower. Yeah, man. Contrition definitely hits the mark here uh, for a shower beer and uh, for an all-time, all-purpose beer for that matter. It is absolutely delicious, my friend. So thank you for sharing. Of course. Uh, let's start at the beginning. Tell me, what was your first lager beer? I think the probability is very high that anyone's first beer is going to be a lager. What was yours? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I feel like um, I, I definitely have a vague memory of my dad, you know, letting me sample one of his beers when I was a kid. I, don't, I can't even imagine what that could have been. But once I was kind of, uh, you know, in high school and starting to uh, starting to drink beer, I, I know I drank a lot of Rolling Rock. Uh, and so that was very likely some of the some of the first beer that I had kind of uh, purposefully um and yeah i grew up in pennsylvania like right outside of philly and um rolling rock you know nowadays is is a ab InBev uh product but back 
back in the day, it was brewed in Latrobe, Pennsylvania, which is like right outside of Pittsburgh. So it was very much a Pennsylvania staple, uh, along with Yingling, of course. There was lots of Yingling. Nice. Um, and then, yeah, I'm sure in college, it was just a lot of like natty. And uh, I do remember drinking some Meisterbrow uh, in college, which, you know, it's like it's that beer just feels like it shouldn't be real. Like it's <laughs> a, like a movie, like a fake lager <laughs> from a movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, those are excellent choices though, to begin with rolling rock. Um, I, <laughs> most people just kind of mutter like natty light under their breath or something, but I, I, I think you started right with rolling rock, uh, with yingling. It's, I guess we have this in common that I, it's the same thing. It's a very vague, distant memory of my, my dad and his side of the family. And I want to say it was Tecate when I was a kid, sure. um, the only reason I remember it is because thinking the can was red and it kind of looked like Coke, right? And tasting it, it was just, it felt like excessively bitter when I was that young. And then, <laughs> and then as you get older, you start to perceive like how sweet all these kind of beers are. Cause right. after that, I mean, into college, you know, it was all PBR that just makes a bunch of liberal arts kids feel better about who they are, where they are, and <laughs> what they are, even though that's like drinking a burp or a fart straight out of the can, you know? Um, so. I was actually just like uh, looking up. I was like Wikipediaing uh, Rolling Rock, and it's there's actually like I recommend people checking it out because there's an insane amount of like lore around that beer. Like yeah. especially, I don't know if you remember, but it used to have the number thirty three on the actual bottle. I've heard that. And like there was all these theories of why that, like what thirty three meant or what it stood for. And Wikipedia like lists like ten potential reasons. I mean, eventually it says what the actual reason is, but I thought it was amazing how many potential ideas came out of just that simple thirty-three that was not explained on the can or the bottle at all. Yeah, well, there's a little bit of mystique around Rolling Rock. I think <laughs> that and Yingling, excellent first beers or at least early beers, and. When we start moving toward present day, what happened next? How did you get into craft beer and to craft brewing from there? Yeah, so uh, I went to college at Penn State, uh, main campus in State College. I went went there for all four years of college. And um, I turned 21, kind of, I think I was actually like at the end of my sophomore year or something like that. Like I was kind of old for... Uh, I stayed back a year in like first grade or something. So I was always like a little bit older than everybody else. Um, but yeah, I remember there was this place called Sharky's in State College. I, I think it still exists, actually, believe it or not. Um, so I graduated college in 2003, so it was a while ago now. But um, it was like a pool hall, but they also had like a bottle shop in there. And um, I just remember experimenting just kind of going in there and buying random stuff probably based off of what it looked like or what the name was not really knowing what most of the things in there were and um, just kind of trying things and uh, I often cite the beers of Samuel Smith as my kind of like epiphany beers um, it was most likely the Imperial Stout actually it was probably the first beer that really kind of blew my mind um, awesome and that, that's kind of why why I, uh, my Instagram handles Timperial Stout. <laughs> oh, it makes uh, sense. Yeah. 
Um, but anyway, that was kind of kind of started me down the path of just like seeking out craft beer. And actually, um, my mom bought me a homebrew kit, like a Mr. Beer homebrew kit as a graduation present from college, mm -hmm. which was pretty cool. Like, I always think like, thanks, mom, for paying attention. <laughs> um, but that was, you know, I started doing dabbling with a little bit of homebrewing after college. Uh, pretty much everything I made initially was just absolute garbage. And I think I actually kind of reached a point where I was like, I don't even know why I'm trying to make beer. Like, the beer that I make is not nearly as good as what I can buy. So I'll just keep buying beer. Um, and then, uh, you know, after college, I was living in Philly and Philly is an amazing beer scene. And so yeah. my education was kind of continuing as I was just trying more and more beers. And then um, in 2007, I ended up deciding to move to Seattle. It was kind of like uh, one of those things where I was like, well, I am still pretty young and I'm not married and I don't have any kids and I want to experience life somewhere else and not just kind of live, live out my whole life in the same part of the world. So, um, it was definitely, definitely just kind of like an adventure to move to Seattle. And, you know, to be honest with you, a big part of the reason why I chose Seattle was just, it was like the, the music scene was incredible. Yeah. The beer scene was incredible being like just a huge nature lover. It's, such a beautiful part of the world um and you know it was also like you know it's a very progressive town it, a lot of things about it um really resonated with me so um moved to seattle ended up being there for five years and uh, that's actually where i met my now business partners doug and jess cool um they, they are not from that area either they kind of found themselves out there after grad school and that's also where I started to brew professionally, kind of got my foot in the door as I was out there. And then Doug, Jess and I started homebrewing together. Um, so yeah, I kind of basically sold every, almost everything I owned when I moved to Seattle. It was like whatever fit in my car is what I kept. So I, I, I got rid of the homebrew, the, the Mr. Beer. I had to kind of reinvest in some some better equipment and thankfully you know doug and jess uh we all kind of like went in on it together to get a nice homebrew setup um and then we actually started writing this beer blog uh it was called beerblotter.com and we took it like extremely seriously actually like we all kind of had different types of articles that we were writing uh, based off of our interests. And we were trying to do like multiple posts a week and like uh, really make it a thing. And um, it was kind of like this just confluence of all these different things that um, made us kind of think to ourselves, like if we don't try to start our own brewery, then we'll probably regret it forever. Um, and really a, a big part of it was you know, almost more so um, than like being really into home brewing and um, brewing in general. It was really just like the the community, the camaraderie of the craft beer scene that we that we were feeling um, as we got more and more involved in the scene. That we were just like, this is such a special kind of subculture um, that we want to be a part of in a more serious way. So I uh, started writing a business plan. Uh, and then eventually 
Doug and Jess, had, they got married when they were living out there. They had their firstborn son when they were out there. And they, as they started to kind of grow their family, they were like, we want to be a little bit closer to, to the grandparents. Sure. Um, so, so we basically decided, all right, we're going to move back east. Uh, Doug's from Ohio. Jess is from New York. And um, yeah, we, we kind of had a, a list of a, a few different cities that we were considering. And I had a friend that went to college at, at um, the Asheville branch of UNC, U, uh, yeah, UNCA, University of North Carolina, Asheville. So uh, that was kind of my like, well, beyond the fact that Asheville is already kind of on the radar as like an excellent beer city. Um, it was through visiting that friend that I got to actually experience it. And it just had so many of the same kind of draws that that brought me to Seattle. Um, so I had kind of pitched that to Doug and Jess and they, they visited and fell in love with it. And so we all moved there together in uh, fall of 2012 and kind of hit the ground running, trying to find a space for the brewery. And we actually ended up finding a space first of the year, uh, 2013 and opened the doors uh, June of 2013. So it was like, it all came together really quickly. Um, but yeah, that was, that was 10 years, almost 10 years ago, um, that we started burial. So <laughs> man, happy 10 years and thank you. congratulations all around to you, to Doug, to Jess. I mean, that's amazing. Like all these places make us who we are in retrospect. Um, I mean, beer family is the best family. So here's to your, <laughs> here's to your mom for enabling right? you, supporting your habit. Uh, beer so, friends are the best friends, like you clearly found with Doug and Jess, and you know, obviously you're drinking another craft brewer's beer right now. I've always right. found the same. It's an incredibly supportive community. <laughs> I'll say, I think we have a lot in common. I graduated college <laughs> around the same time. I started a beer blog that led to my first like <laughs> professional job in beer, oh, and so I, cool. I just discovered a a community I really wanted to be a part of and a, a sense of place and purpose and work that I, I didn't have otherwise. So um, it keeps nice. coming up again and again on this podcast. And I, I appreciate <laughs> you sharing the, the story and the journey with us. So if we, now, if we truly fast forward to present day and burial was born out of this, um, this spirit of optimism and vitality and community in the beer industry. Uh, we're not seeing like the same kind of growth anymore. I know you said you just came back from CBC, the craft brewers conference. So, I mean, it's fair to say like on a national level, um, craft beer sales may be flat or declining, but there's just not as much like much juju as much like positive forward momentum around the industry at the moment, but burial continues to grow. Like, I, I think you have four locations now. Um, with a with a music venue on the horizon, which is incredible, and yeah. um, instead of like scrambling like for to produce uh, just whatever the word is like better for you beverages that might attract like new drinkers, you know, you are diversifying into things like cider and wine and aperitifs, which are still very much in the spirit of burial beer and the brewery you all have built. So what's the secret? How is burial continue to continuing to grow in this climate? And um, what's kind of the guiding principle behind the wine and everything else that you're uh, that you're producing now? Man, that's a big 
It's a great question, but it's a big question. I know, I know. I can't, even, I can't even tell you the amount of places that my mind goes right now. Um, you know, how to really succinctly answer that because it's really just so many different things that um, come together. I think I, I often would like to think that it, it kind of ultimately revolves around like just a, a passion for what we do, a, um, you know, kind of this curiosity that we um, that we thrive in, um, wanting to be like a, a student uh, always and like always uh, perpetually improve. And, um, you know, and also to some degree, I think it's just kind of being like authentic and uh, being our like weirdo selves and not not like shying away from that. I mean, I I tend to think a lot of times when I think about some of the things that make up the burial brand, I, I feel like, I don't know if, if you went to marketing school that anyone would tell you to do what we've done. Definitely uh, not. Definitely not. But yeah, but it has worked um, just because it maybe partially because it is so different and unique, but I think it's because people can tell that, um, we like pour our hearts into what we do. Um, and we've, we've retained that, like just gusto is a word I like to use a gusto. lot. Uh, I love people with gusto, you know, yeah. just like, just want to, um, want to pour themselves into a thing. And I think, you know, there's certainly been a lot of, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't want to discredit some of the, businessy decisions that were made. I mean, I've Doug, um, Doug and Jess are both like really incredible uh, people and, and business minded people and um, beyond being very creative as well. And I, I think we, we got really kind of lucky when we started out with this like trio of people that all had a little bit different um, backgrounds and different things to bring to the table. And that was, that was really huge. I mean, Doug has um, started a few different businesses in the past. So he's kind of like that. He very much has that entrepreneurial spirit. And I was kind of the one that was diving into the more production stuff, uh, brewing beer. And um, Jess has worked for like nonprofits and has like a really incredible kind of like uh, mind for the kind of more admin stuff, the less sexy stuff. But she's like very, very um organized and, and great at that so you know we started off strong and that was good and then from there it was just kind of like build a team that um of people that are kind of equally passionate and and um can kind of be like specialists uh, at what they do and it's it, there came a time for me when i i was the head brewer for about the first five years of the business and there kind of came a time where it was like well we've developed a, enough of a kind of like name for ourselves that when we post for a brewing job, um, we're getting some absolutely incredible talent, like apply to that. It's like, we can hire people that are better at brewing than I am. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we should, you know, do that. And, uh, you know, I've always been open with the fact that I, I personally am really not a very like technically minded brewer. I, I kind of am more, I thrive in the creative side. I love yeah. to make really weird 
stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's kind of funny that this is a lager podcast and I'm, I'm really not like the best lager brewer. That's for damn sure. But I am passionate about the style. And, gusto uh, is anyway. the word, Tim. Gusto is the word. I <laughs> yeah, mean, right. everything you just described, these are the ingredients to being a successful brewery, a successful band. You know, I mean, just bringing uh, there's an element of luck for sure. And you're right to be like humble about that. We all are. But gusto, bringing gusto <laughs> to your work. Being a rock star in whatever you do, even if you're not a rock star, I mean that's that's fucking awesome. So, was it was so was it because of like that creativity and that curiosity that you then kind of took on producing wine, like still within the burial house and under the burial brand? Yeah, I mean that's a, that's a little bit of a story as well. But really, when I first met Doug and Jess, they they actually were not beer people at all they had moved to seattle from new orleans which is where they went to grad school and new orleans at least at the time really didn't have much of a beer scene at all it, you know it's it's just really not known for beer you know it's much more of like a spirits town so cocktails and stuff like that so yeah. i had kind of introduced them to beer um because i was so into it at the time and you know they're just generally passionate people so they they kind of fell in love with beer and um it all obviously took off from there but doug has always kind of retained that like interest in wine and um so he just you know he definitely got me into it and he's one of the the most like knowledgeable people about wine that, that i've ever known to be honest with you so um yeah he he definitely had a passion for it and there just came a, a point there where it was like all right we have this infrastructure to make beverages um a lot of this equipment can be used to make almost anything right so we i think in a way the, it kind of started with the idea of like we have a lot of uh apple we're in a very like big apple growing area in north carolina here so we were like all these apples grow around us like and we constantly are getting people coming into the tap room asking for cider and you know we were buying other people's cider and and reselling that to just offer that to our customers that wanted it but we were like why don't we make our own cider we have the apples right here so in north carolina you have to have a separate license to make beer and wine mm -hmm. um and so we got that license kind of initially as a means to make cider and then it was like all right well we have the license we might as well start making wine and so um we had made some connections in the wine world just kind of mostly just through like reaching out to winemakers that we really admired and um, found some people that were willing to uh you know help us source scrapes and um and kind of like teach us how how to how to make wine um, give us some tips along the way so we started out just making a couple different wines with very little expectations of what was going to come of it and just knowing that we could always put it blended into beer and make kind of like a beer wine hybrid thing and then i had um i had just like kind of like i touched on a minute ago like just being really fascinated in making really weird beers with weird ingredients i yeah. i had kind of fallen um in love with uh, working with botanicals and you know inevitably that led me to falling in love with amaro and vermouth and just very like botanical forward beverages and so um that was another kind of nice uh potential if the wine maybe wasn't like 
up to our standards to release it as a as a wine we could turn it into a vermouth nice. or, or or some sort of vermouth adjacent like aromatized wine and and there's actually like a lot of historical significance with that that concept of like making a taking a wine that maybe isn't um isn't perfect and uh, true to the vision of the winemaker and turning it into a vermouth so um and then you know just we we had a lot of fun doing it we we loved learning about you know this other side of fermentation and um really kind of fascinated by like the natural wine process and um there's so many similarities between making natural wine and making sour beer um and so it you know as as we got into it more and more and you know started studying cocktails and spirits like there's so many things that you can learn to be a better brewer by observing and studying other beverages um and so and then you know that kind of led to us just making more and more connections in the wine world and then um buying you know larger quantities of of grapes um, getting our hands on different varieties that we were interested in and so um for me personally like covid when covid happened in 2020 that really like mixed things up a lot obviously for everybody and um at the time i was in this role kind of overseeing forestry camp um which is our uh, second Asheville location mm -hmm. and um i was kind of asked to get back into the brewery um uh, after kind of being away from the brewery for a little while and um then as things kind of settled out and we got our feet under us and we uh were feeling a little bit more comfortable and confident about the what was going to happen in the future for for our business um i kind of had this opportunity i guess to kind of chart my own course and decide like where i wanted to be in the in the company what I, what role i wanted to do and um you know we had started this brand uh, we called visuals and it was initially kind of like a small like single barrel sour bear beer project and um we just kind of had like somewhat lost lost the uh, interest in doing it or we, no one was really focusing on it and so we had this brand and we thought all right uh, we could kind of shift this brand into the wine brand and get more serious about making wine. And so I basically was like, hey, this could be a really good opportunity for me to focus on visuals, to really like fully immerse myself in learning about this, um, to, to make more connections in the industry. Um, and so basically from like late 2020 until now, my main role has been uh, been overseeing the visuals project kind of in, a, in some ways as like um, creative director in some ways as winemaker I kind of do a little bit of everything um, I'm the only one that's kind of like fully focused on visuals and uh, it's been really it's been really wonderful I mean you know I still I still love beer more than anything you of know course. it's still, <laughs> of still course. number one passion but um but I have really come to love and admire wine and the winemaking uh, culture. I met so many cool people in that uh, in that field, and um, yeah, I'm really having fun. I'm really having fun doing it. So I love it, Tim. It's it's 
it's so much fun that you're able to apply your experience in beer to wine in beer that might have gone wrong to wine and wine that might have gone wrong to beer. And I will say <laughs> I, I do share like that, that taste for bitterness for like clean, classic, bracing bitterness uh, right. in Amaro in Amari. It's nice to have some resistance in what you eat and what you drink. It kind of really helps you focus on it. I always get that from the bitter flavor. So Tim, given your background in beer, your love for beer, your move to wine in the here and now, Tell us what your approach is to lager brewing. Tell us what Burial's approach is to lagers these days. Yeah, sure. Um, I think that really this concept is true for any beer that you know we ever make, and it's really just about um, really getting specific about what you want the final product to look like, to smell like, to... Uh, to taste like and then kind of working your way back as you design the formula the recipe and um you know every obviously you know i mean again it's it's true for every style but i with with lager being such a kind of process driven technical um style of beer uh, you really have to be dialed on, on your process and uh, every little step along the way is going to be pretty critical to you know how the final beer presents so um but we make a pretty wide variety of beer in general i mean our kind of we don't really like to put ourselves in a box you know i mean yeah. i think there's certain styles that people maybe know us for um but we really approach almost every style and certainly through the years i mean in the early days it was absolutely no holds barred for us when we were smaller. Of course, you know, as we grow and mature, um, some of that decision making has to be considered in a slightly different way. But as it pertains to to lager, you know, we we do extremely you know true to style traditional versions of lager, and then we also do some of the more like new age, uh, you know, like Americanized bastardization of of the traditions um yeah. and that mostly presents itself in like you know extremely hop forward lagers or you know you know very almost like a like a hybrid of a hazy ipa and a lager um you know so yeah and again it's just like if that's what the beer uh if that's what we envision for the beer to be that then like how do we get there in the process so yeah. We do a little of everything that, you know, uh, as far as like the mashing regime goes, like plenty of lagers that we do have a single infusion and that's kind of, it's that simple. Um, others have a step mash, others have decoction. Um, it really just depends on like what the style is, what, how, how we want it to present, like how much malt do we want to accentuate. Um, and so you know, in the early days, we uh, we didn't really have a good, safe way to decoct or even step mash because we didn't we had a direct fire kettle and um, the mash tun didn't have a jacket or anything like that. So, you know, it, not that it was impossible, but it was a little bit harder to do some of that stuff. Um, now with our production brewery at the forestry camp location. Um, you know, we have a mash mixer and, uh, we have a lauder ton and it's a four vessel system with steam jackets. And so 
and, and you know a pump to move mash around and you know it's it's pretty easy um well, i don't know if easy is the right word but <laughs> it's very possible to do you know nearly any sort of mashing um situation and yeah. then um we do have uh 60 barrel lager tanks two horizontal 60 barrel lager tanks at the production facility so um you know, we'll primary in a, in a conical and then we'll move it over to the lagering tank, um, which is great for just kind of keep beers moving through the system and not tie up a, a conical for, for terribly too long. Um, and, you know, again, like the lagering time uh, varies a little bit as well, the, you know, based off of what what we want the beer to be so if it's if we're not too concerned about the clarity or we, or it's a really hot forward um, lager we might not uh, put too much uh, value in like an extended lagering mm -hmm. uh, but i'd say for the most part um, we tend to lager for about a month yeah like four weeks yeah uh, so yeah i mean that's that's kind of the gist of it <laughs> you're right to say so i I, I agree. Like burial, I think is equally known for, for IPA, for stout, as much as it is for lager. And we've talked to a variety of different breweries, a variety of different brewers so far. And, you know, everyone's a little different. Some think and speak in terms of Plato, some think in terms of decoction. Um, would you say that you really think about what you want the final product to be like, how you want this beer to taste? And then you work backwards from there. Yeah, I mean, at least me personally, uh, I can't speak for everybody on on the staff. And, you know, at this point, right in the now, mm -hmm. um, my my role as far as like the creation of the recipes and stuff like that is is pretty much non-existent. Um, and that's, again, just the um, that kind of thing I was talking about before. Where we've just been able to put people in these roles that are really, really excellent brewers and and passionate for beer and you know in a lot of ways they have the autonomy to make the recipes and decide the the process and i trust them fully um but yeah as far as uh, me personally if i'm making a recipe it's always like i'm thinking about the all the details of what that beer is like in the final in the glass you know yeah. like the how it looks uh how clear it is how um what the aroma's like you know the the crispness the residual sweetness um the rocky head the you know all, all the things uh the bitterness um and then i'm just kind of like okay how do i how do i get there and um you know there's no process that's off the table there right if like decocting this beer is gonna make the brew day longer um that's that's what we do. We brew, right? So sure. uh, it doesn't, you know, that's, that's how we get to the, the end result that we are looking for, then that's, that's what we'll do. I mean, it's, you know, with that being said, it's pretty rare that we do some like super intricate triple decoctions or something like that. You know, we, it's all within a reason, I guess you could say, or like the nuance is important. The nuance is incredibly important, but um, to a degree, right? Yeah. Yeah, I I mean, what's most important is having a good team in place and drinking contrition, I mean, here and now. And I'm about to move on to Surf Wax, which was one nice. of my first barrel beers of all time, but I can taste their talents 
in the glass, man. So kudos to them. Kudos to you. Can you tell us, do you, let's say they're all your children, but <laughs> back in the day, like when Beryl was in its infancy and you were stepping up to the brew deck for some of those early brew days, uh, did you have a favorite style of lager to brew or even to now at this moment in time, do you have a favorite style to drink? Yeah, I would say that um, probably my answer is going to be the same for both. Yeah. And that's a, a dark lager. I mean, I I do absolutely love to drink a hoppy lager as well. Yeah. Um, but if I could only drink one, um, it would be a dark lager um, for sure. I mean, I just I as much as I love and admire hops, um, I feel like I've always kind of resonated more as a malt guy, which is, you know, again, like not the sexiest thing in the world, but it, um, malt is there's just sexy. something about, there's something about malt that has always excited me. Like that was the part of recipe writing that I got the most excited about. And, um, just so many, you know, options, uh, available to to you and i think on the actual brew day of a, of like let's say a pilsner for instance like the um you know the adding the hops and stuff like that can be really exciting and um but it i got i love the mash-in process like we especially you know i was mostly brewing in that or really exclusively in that five-year stint uh as i was brewing i was at the what we call like the pub system or the South slope location where it was all manual stirring and absolutely loved that process. You know, like you got to bring an extra shirt on, on brew day for sure. Cause you sweat your ass off. But, uh, you know, I, I enjoyed the physical nature of it. The, like, um, how you, you know, you're just physically putting your, your energy, um, and your, your, your soul and your sweat, uh, yeah. into the beer. Yeah. Um, that's about as close as you can really get to the process. And so well, a really malt forward beer, that mash in is just a lot more exciting. I feel like um, nice. the aromas are so, so uh, cool. And of course, you know, I just love shit that's dark in general. <laughs> uh, 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 <laughs> love, yes. You know, dark, dark Welcome music, to the dark side. <laughs> dark energy. Uh, uh, dark, <laughs> dark films. Yeah. Art. I can, dark stuff. I can see it in your eyes, Tim. And, <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, you are preaching to the choir here, whatever, wherever that choir is. I mean, <laughs> we love dark beer and dark lager in particular. Not to make a shameless plug, but when we met you at Decibel Metal and Beer Fest, we were furiously promoting our Morbid Hour Black Pilsner made with KCBC right. out of Brooklyn. Um, but it's so much more than that. The style is infinitely versatile, infinitely satisfying. I love it on a hot day for how refreshing it is. I love it on a cold day for how thoughtful it is. And I love mm. it with virtually any kind of food out there. So um, forgive me for waxing nostalgically and lyrically, <laughs> love it, but we love dark lager and I'm glad you share that. Um, yeah. I think you can hear it in my voice and I know I can hear it in your in yours, but why... Why are we having this discussion in the first place? You know, why does lager matter? And of course, it's part of a greater context of why does beer matter? Why does craft beer still matter? But why does lager matter to you? Why does it matter to burial? Why do you continue to produce it? 
Yeah, I really love this question. I'm, I'm glad that you ask it um, every episode because it's, it's a fascinating kind of philosophical um question and I, I i came up with a few different reasons uh, i think probably the most for me if i had to pick just one like most important reason I th and i think it could be applied to any style of beer or just alcohol in general and it's like the communal aspect of it um you know i just came back from the craft brewers conference in nashville and it's just really you know it's so almost funny that anytime the craft brewers conference is happening anywhere in the country if there's a lager event uh, and you know there's going to be at least one if not several yeah. you can 100 percent assure be assured that it will be packed out and the all the brewers will be excited about it that's where you'll see everybody um and you know i, I think about sometimes how in the world of in the alcohol world as a whole um lager in a in a lot of ways um is kind of the most sessionable of them all like the the super low alcohol and like the clean crisp drinkability the um the fact that you can kind of just continue to drink it it that is such a such an, an important part of like the communal aspect of of like getting together and having a drink um and so i think that that's really pretty 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 amazing i mean if i'm you know obviously it depends on the circumstance it depends on what you're doing but if i'm just making loose plans to hang with some friends um i'm 90 um 100 really 100 percent of the time i'm choosing what i drink based off of the alcohol content that's mm -hmm. kind of like the first thing i'm gonna look for because i'm gonna want something that's that's gonna keep me lively and you know engaged in the conversation yeah. um and i and you know oftentimes that's a lager i feel like um and i also think that just a it's worth noting the kind of preservation of the tradition i do think is really important and uh, this is another thing that i think about a lot as it pertains to like this craft that that i've in a lot of ways dedicated myself to this idea of like the food and beverage world as a whole where our craft like our art is a is something that you consume um and it has a short relatively short shelf life um not in all cases but certainly in the case of lager so if uh you know that's so different for so many other art forms out there like uh, you know an album or a painting or you know it exists forever right yeah, i see uh and of course you can rebrew a beer right but if tomorrow all the brewers in the world said we're not gonna brew lager anymore it doesn't matter anymore then it will go away it yep. will not exist yep. anymore. It will all get consumed. And then it's just like in the history book. Um, and so that preservation part is definitely really important. And um, I think another kind of the third thought that I have on that is about this concept of like preserving minimalism in beer. Mm -hmm. I think uh, I really resonate a lot with minimalistic art. Uh, in general, I, you know, I, I absolutely love like ambient and, and drone music. Um, I love really, you know, textural, uh, visual arts, uh, abstract art. Um, 
And so I feel like just in our modern society, especially in the American craft beer, um, there, it feels like there's been just such a shift towards this like maximalist, like over the top flavor explosion, um, you know, which is fine. You know, I think there's a lot of value in that too. And I, I drink those beers too, but, um, I think that the, just kind of dialing it back into like, this is beer flavored beer, if you will. And this is like a celebration of what the, the historical four ingredients of beer are. Um, and that, that, that like tie back to the land and, um, you know, the agricultural product that, that beer is, um, the nuance that it can have, um, all that stuff I think is really important to kind of like continue to at least offer, or hopefully, you know, more and more people can come back to that and just enjoy the the simplicity of it for what it is without feeling like they have to uh, be just blown away every time they take a sip. Cause to me, that's like, kind of the opposite of the communal aspect, right? Like if all we're ever doing is talking about how mind blowing that sip was, then we're not connecting with each other. Yeah. Yeah. Incredibly well said. And I, I do keep this question for every episode we do, because even though everyone's answer might share some similarities, it's always a little bit different and yes to um, community yes to legacy and tradition um i'm with you uh that it kind of preserves beer status as a an agricultural beverage rather than just an industrial beverage i'm with you about the uh the uh, just the the ambiguous styles and the dense label art and the existential descriptions that obscure like what you're drinking in the can in the glass you know which is part of why the problems that craft beer might be having to date but above all i think you're right to say that whereas beer can take you to a time and a place and a moment that you first head it or head it again you're right that like music lasts forever it takes you to a time in your place and a life in your life but you can always rely on it being in wax being in the matrix it's always going to be there beer maybe maybe not if it's not mm-hmm. continually produced in the same way you might not have the moment you did years ago so it is it is well worth preserving and i thank you for speaking to it i'm going to drink to that and open up a surf wax um take me back to that first visit to Asheville. um i want to know more uh speaking to time and place uh, a sense of place. Just tell us about kind of the local food scene in Asheville. To- tell us what kind of food you like to pair with lager beer. Oh yeah. Well, and I feel so fortunate that, uh, you know, Asheville is kind of a relatively small town. I feel like, I mean, maybe that's easy for me to say because I lived in Seattle and Philadelphia, so it feels small, but, um, mm-hmm. For, for being a fairly small town, it just has so much to offer, and especially in the food and beverage world. You know, probably uh, I don't need to speak to this audience about the beer scene, but the food scene is pretty great. I mean, I, I you know, obviously I, I have some complaints at times just about like variety of options. Again, just living in much bigger cities, but there's some incredible stuff going on and some like some chefs in this town that just absolutely blow me away. And I, I do think that there is 
this um we, we live in a really cool part of the country that has you know one of the most biodiverse it's one of the most biodiverse areas in the country so that so many things can grow here mm -hmm. um and so there's a ton of chefs in town that really celebrate that and like focus a lot on the local ingredients and like i i honestly feel like there's farmers in this town that have like quasi celebrity status which you think is like not not a thing most places um, <laughs> that's cool uh, yeah I, I really love that um i think that you know as it pertains to lager and food pairings like the place that my mind goes with that is is like foods that are kind of like a like huge flavors that are a bunch of things that are combined at the same time like tacos i think is maybe a really good example or like you know like a sausage on a bun with a bunch of toppings like something that's just like a lot a lot going on mm -hmm. flavor wise um a lager the simplicity of a lager to me kind of just like helps wash that down and um kind of brings you back to earth a little bit um yeah, yeah so i think you know obviously sausage in germany and lager that that's like a match made in heaven for sure sure of course <laughs> grilled grilled stuff in general like actually that's a beautiful thing of like to be able to drink a, a lager while you're grilling is is awesome <laughs> and then once the food's done it's also awesome yeah uh so i i love one of the things that i kind of like uh a challenge i gave to myself over the last few years was to learn how to cook on, on a fire mm -hmm. uh, versus using like an actual grill and it's something that i've really learned loved doing uh because i just love making a fire i guess i'm like a caveman at times ah. but uh something very communal about you know hanging out around a fire as well but uh speak yeah, again that's... speaks to the element of a of <laughs> community of ritual uh which i think right. is very important in this thing we call life you know so whatever yeah. grounds you in the sense of a time and a place that makes you appreciate uh it grounds us it connects us to the food that we eat it connects us to the uh the beer that we drink um this is a little bit of a curveball and i i just it's it's just for you tim and i think it's very important um <laughs> nice. I want to know more about like the music that, well, first of all, I want to know more about your taste in music. You have a very eclectic taste in music. Uh, you dig deep, you go underground, and then you typically share what you find on social media. I know you post playlists. So on some level, yeah, I'd love to know kind of what kind of music you think pairs well with lager brewing, with lager drinking for the sake of this podcast. But I also just want to know how you find new bands and new artists that keep you inspired. Mm. Yeah, uh, I love that you asked this question. Uh, <laughs> definitely a topic that I love to talk about uh, equally as much as beer. Um, yeah, music is just incredibly important to me. Like, it really has been for a long time. Um, big record collector. Um, live music is, pro you know, is is so important to me. And I, I, I think that uh, a couple years back, I kind of it dawned on me of that the process of actually discovering new music that like that feeling of oh my god i just discovered something that just makes me feel so so away um that i didn't know about yesterday that is 
uh, amongst the best feelings that I, I get in this life. And so because of that, I have um, developed a lot of different avenues by which to to give myself that that pleasure. Nice. Um, and so, you know, it's 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 really hard to uh, I mean, as, as much as as you touched upon, like I absolutely love the, the kind of curation thing of just things that are maybe a little bit underappreciated or under the radar. I love to help uh, illuminate that to other people because I, I know that not everybody, you know, dedicates such a big part of their life to seeking that stuff out. But I find so much joy in it that sure. I'm happy to kind of do the work and uh, let other people in on the, the gems, the, at least the things that really speak to me. Um, but yeah, there's so many different avenues that I get it. Obviously, there's, you know, certain like blogs and, and music news websites. Uh, I feel like more and more these days, Instagram has become like a really big, um, big way for me to discover music. My, my feed has definitely, you know, shifted into mostly music related things. Um, you know, following record labels on Instagram is, is probably like, that's huge. Like find the record labels that you that you really dig their vibe and like how they curate and what they put out and um, follow them and keep up with their releases. That can be really big, uh, like tools that are as simple as, you know, spot, if you use Spotify, which I use a lot, um, I think it's such a great tool, um, you know, using the, um, the radio function or the like, you know, fans also like these bands function or, um, you know, I, I get so excited every Friday for like the new, the new release radar or whatever, <laughs> like all those little tools, like I, you know, it's, it has become part of my ritual almost on a daily basis. That's great. Uh, These are like, ban, ban, I don't know. I, I talk about band camp a lot because I feel like unless you're like a real music head, you might not really use band camp or even maybe know what it is, but mm -hmm. band camp is an incredibly huge tool too because one of the things i love about it is that you can essentially you can not only follow bands and so anytime that band has a new release it'll come up in your feed but you can also follow styles or like sub styles so if you're really into atmospheric black metal like me you can just follow that genre and anytime a band releases a thing that they tag with that genre it will come up in your feed. So it's a lot of it's stuff's coming at me all the time. Nice. Um, so yeah, yeah. Music's big. Actually, uh, one of my projects of late is I started, um, a, like a boutique record label, um, where I release four records a year. Um, and so far it's been all Asheville musicians. Um, but anyway, yeah, stylistically, I mostly, I mean, I'm really into, very psychedelic stuff, very abstract stuff. I listen to a lot of ambient, drone, um, metal, uh, more and more lately jazz. And I, I often kind of um, find myself most gravitating to the to jazz that has some sort of like electronic element. I really love synth music. Uh, being a child of the '80s, 
um, synth music resonates with me. And it also just so happens that there's two synthesizer companies in Asheville. So there's a lot of people <laughs> making synth music here. I think it's just like in the air and I, I feel it and I love it. Um, yeah. So those are kind of the styles that I, I most gravitate to, you know, I, um, I love stuff that just really like set, sends my mind places or puts me in a trance or you know um that it's a, it's a very much like a creative space i feel like a lot of the music i listen to uh, makes me makes my my mind wander to fun fun places <laughs> um, that's awesome so yeah i feel like to answer your question about the like lager specifically um I think if I was brewing a lager, I'd probably be most inclined to put on some music that is a little bit more on the ambient um, side. And I think that kind of matches with the minimalism that I was talking about earlier and just, but it's kind of more, it's more so about the fact that when you're brewing lager, you really have to be focused and um, you really have to pay attention to the, to everything that's going on and all the details and, hit hit all your all your numbers and whatnot so music that doesn't kind of distract me from that or it allows me to focus better i mean it's really not that different than if i'm sitting at the computer you know writing emails or whatever like that's the type of music that i want to have on something that with generally without vocals um that will kind of distract me or like pull pull my head you know if i'm starting I'm going to start like singing a song. I'm not paying attention to what I'm yeah. doing. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. And then I guess as far as like drinking lager, God, I, I don't know that there's a style that wouldn't be appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it's, you know, probably what I'm drinking if I'm at a show. Um, and again, I guess to tie it back to that, like communal aspect, uh, I'm not, if I'm like having a party at my house, let's just say, yeah. I'm probably not putting on like an ambient record. Like that's going to make the uh, the mood of the party pretty weird, pretty quick. <laughs> um, so I probably put something a little bit more upbeat and like uh, digestible on. Um, but yeah, if I had to pick a genre, like I, I would probably pick something like post-punk or dark wave or something that has like a nice beat to it that people can, you know, like it, people would get into but it still has like a darkness to it nice uh yeah that would probably be what i would want to listen to most if i'm drinking especially a dark lager yeah <laughs> well thank you for tying it all together tim i've got to say well it's nice to hear a, something positive about tech with the imminent ai threat looming to hear that instagram <laughs> spotify of course Bandcamp, like these can all be right. used to positive ends um but we i mean obviously we know you're in to metal uh but it clearly goes from there to psych rock to kraut rock to drone <laughs> to ambient to jazz and it's great that you're just again finding new artists um to keep yourself inspired to share with the rest of us i think like if you crack open decibel magazine like most people would have no idea like when we were actively <laughs> producing the six most metal breweries people yeah. legitimately asked me like is metal still a thing is heavy metal still happening and i thought they were fucking right. with me but it's a, <laughs> it's an honest question it's an honest question sure. you don't know that even though it doesn't really reach you commercially anymore there's still an underground just churning 
Oh, uh, for sure. Shows yeah. every night for the people who love it and remain committed to it. And the same is probably true for every other style of music you just mentioned. So thank you for sharing. Yeah, um, I want to make sure we get to this in the time we have left. Uh, is there anything else you want to say to all the beer drinkers out there? And how do we follow you? How do we see what's next for Burial Beer Company? Hmm. Okay. Is there anything I want to say? I mean, um, I would say that as it pertains to lager, one thing that I don't know that we really touched on that much so far in this conversation is like the experiential nature that can really, really tie you to lager. If you have the opportunity to go to, you know, the source, if you will, uh, the motherland of lager, um, whether you consider that Germany or Czech Republic, hope, hopefully you can go to both. Yeah. Or, uh, but if you get a chance to go, I know, especially nowadays, it's incredibly uh, expensive to to travel abroad. Um, but it's I I've, I've yet to go to Czech Republic, and it's incredibly high on my list. But I have been to Germany, um, and to be able to drink lager in that setting. Um, it's it will probably if you're not uh, invested in lager yet it will i guarantee you make you invested in lager so that's that's a big one and then of course you know just su support your local brewery any chance you get um like you said earlier it's a little bit of a hard time um in the industry right now and um I know that there's an insane amount of options out there and that certainly weighs into some of the challenges, but if you find a brewery that's close to home that, that you, you know, you can see the passion, um, and, uh, you, you really believe in what they're doing, then, um, any, any extra money that you have to have a couple beers, uh, please support them. Uh, and yeah, how to keep up with burial. I feel like, you know, social media, of course, uh, at burial beer on Instagram, uh, burialbeer.com is always a good place. Um, also I, I'd urge anyone that's interested at all in, in our wine project. It's, uh, drink at drink visuals on Instagram and, uh, drinkvisuals.com. Um, check that out. That's, that's like I said, kind of my main project right now, and I'm uh, I'm not very good at uh, social media, but I do manage that account, so uh, you can uh, you can check out what I'm doing there. And yeah, if you get, I mean, again, to get back to the experience thing, I can't even tell you the amount of effort and and soul that we put into the burial experience. Um, that the best way to experience what we do is to come visit us. So if you are ever in North Carolina, uh, we have <clears throat> the two spots in Asheville that we've touched on already. Uh, we've got one in Raleigh and one in Charlotte now. Um, so please try to, to come to one of our tap rooms. And yeah, we're like you touched on as well, we're working on a music venue that's going to be like basically right next door to our original location in the South Slope neighborhood of Asheville. So hopefully that'll be online uh, by this fall. 
and um, we've got a big 10-year anniversary uh, concert coming up at Forestry Camp on, I believe, June 24th um, is when that's happening. Burn Pile is our, our uh, fest in October, our big autumn fest, which also has a lot of badass uh, live bands playing and beers from all over the world. Um, so, yeah, just try to come see us if you oh. can. <laughs> Wise words. Very well said. And thank you for sharing, Tim. Even after all these years, uh, I still think you look like Cliff Burton. And it's <laughs> it's been an that. honor to have you on the No Life to Lager podcast. So he's right. If you're listening out there, uh, take that trip to Germany. Take that trip to the Czech Republic. Take that trip to Asheville, North Carolina. I am going to say thank you, Tim. Thank you, Burial Beer. Thank you to our producers, Jeremy Batchelor and Tom Starkweather. If you like what you're hearing, follow No Life Till Lager. Subscribe to No Life Till Lager. Help us hit the road and make a better kind of beer show. And as it goes, you know what's coming next. I am going to say good night and good lager. Cheers, Tim. Thank you so very much. Cheers, man. Thanks so much for having me. No Life Till